Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca slash members. Hey, hey, kids. How you holding up? How you doing? You okay? You good? You good? You good? A little roll call here. Everybody's good? Need a little bit of uh, distraction? I got one for you. We got an original six-speed conversation podcast. That's right. Welcome back. I'm your host, Rob Kerr. Glad you could join us. Of course, you can uh, never miss an episode. As the kids say, uh, just subscribe at Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts. I guess it used to be iTunes. I don't think it's iTunes anymore, is it? I think they did away with that. Anyway, you know how you, you you can get it at Sport Calgary's website. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, full disclosure. <laughs> there we go. Full disclosure. A friend of mine. Yep. Another friend of mine. Um, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, there's some stories in it, some really good stories, but uh, pretty serious too. Um, and a, and a, I think a timely topic. Uh, I'm bringing in a, a, a friend of mine, Blake Mahan. Uh, Blake is a, uh, a longtime member of the University of Calgary Dinos Football Club, uh, uh, briefly spent time with the Calgary Stampeders, but that time really impacted him and now is impacting others. And he is uh, the head. He is the guy that came up with the Thrive Sport Project. So uh, why don't you plug that into the old Google machine while you're listening, the Thrive Sport Project. I have worked with Blake on a number of different uh, initiatives uh, around kids and kids' sport. He's uh, come and, and uh, helped us at our camps in the summertime, talks to kids. Uh, he is truly a really, really uh, bright, gifted guy that, that sees sport in, in the way that uh, I see sport and the way a lot of people see sport, that it's valuable and there's lessons to be learned. But uh, we also have to take care of our mental health. And he's going to share his story. Uh, it is one that is connected to mental health. Uh, he's very honest about it. Um, I wanted to have him on to talk about it. I think a lot of us right now going through this pandemic uh, might be dealing with some mental health issues. And, and sometimes it's good to hear from somebody who's um, gone in, come out the other side, and, and still works on it every day. Uh, at, on top of that, just a genuinely good guy. All right? Um, before we get to that, Calgary is home to world-class multi-sport facilities. Find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca. Here's my buddy. Here's my pal. Here's my conversation with Blake Mahan. Listen, I appreciate you doing this, but how are you holding up? That's my first question every time I do one of these. How are you holding up, Blake? Yeah, pretty good. We... Uh... Work-wise, I've been really fortunate in that I work for a organization that um, has been able to keep keep me working, uh, which is obviously a positive <laughs> and very thankful for that because there's a lot of people that aren't in that uh, in that boat. Um, so we've been about we're going into our fourth week working from home. Uh, my wife and I are both working from home, and and our two daughters are homeschooling and. Um, so overall doing well, getting, getting into a bit of a better routine in, in terms of trying to stay, uh, in a positive mindset. That was a struggle early on with all of the routine changes and, and just the overall challenge of the, of the situation. I work in the oil and gas industry as well. So obviously the market conditions are, uh, stressful, but, uh, overall work is going good. We, we push through quite a bit of work, even just from, from home and uh and family settling in well too so 
I want to. I, I do want to get into a very serious conversation with you, which, um, I, all things considered, I think you're the one of the perfect guys to talk to. But before I do that, let's have a little bit of fun. Are you binging anything, or or what are you doing to stay sane when you're not working? Yeah, well, well, for me, it's, I had to really look at my uh, look at my habits, and and early on, there was a lot of uh, trips to the to the pantry. Um, there was a, a lot of, uh, a lack of trips sort of onto the, onto the treadmill. So that was important for me to get back into just those habits. I did make the step into, uh, into Tiger King. You know, um, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually finished that, finished that last day. It's pretty, pretty short series. Uh, that was an enlightening experience for sure. I would, I would not say that I'm any more intelligent after that <laughs> series. I'd probably say I'm slightly dumber, uh, but it did, did fill some time on the, on the coach. Now, are you, um, are you teaching at home too? Are you, are you helping the homeschooling or how are the kids holding up? Uh, so our, we have a 12 year old and a nine year old, uh, our 12 year old's pretty, uh, pretty independent. Uh, our nine year old, um, uh, still, you know, is needing some time with either mom or dad. We've been trying to figure out who's the, uh, the best teacher out of, out of the lot of us, out of the <laughs> two of us. And, uh, so far I'm losing that battle. So, uh, mom's been doing a lot of the work with, uh, with our youngest daughter. I mentioned, um, I wanted to get a little bit serious with you. I actually want to get quite serious with you. You mentioned, you know, the things that we're all going through, and I will, I will bring it into a sport context, but is this, for, for Blake Mahan, is this a, a, a more stressful situation than it might be for some? Um, because your life has been around dealing with pressure and dealing with stress and finding mindfulness. Is this a, is this a unique challenge, or are you more prepared for this than, than some of us? Uh, it's interesting. I think that, um, in a lot of ways, the work that I've had to do in the mental health space over the last, you know, 2013. So we're sort of seven years where I've really been focusing on my mental health and my state of mind has, uh, positioned me well, I would say for, for a lot of this, a lot of this stress and, um, you know, at work, we've been talking a lot about what we do day to day in terms of our cert. We have this um, tool we call the PPMP. It's a personal preventative maintenance plan. And the idea being, what can we be doing day to day socially, um, you know, connecting digitally with people, connecting digitally with family, um, you know, physically, mentally, all of those things. And when I developed that plan from a work front, it was evident that, uh, you know, a lot of the things that I've been doing over the last seven years to sort of recover from mental illness and to, to heal were things that I just had to really refocus on and, and uh, reestablish. I think, too, some of the, the mindset stuff, uh, you know, and even from an athletic perspective, you know, there's certain things that we can control mm. and there's certain things, obviously, that you know, we can't control and, uh, you know, really focusing on those things that are within, you know, within my control within this situation, obviously the world, uh, commodity markets aren't, aren't one of those things. Uh, but you know, the attitude that I bring to the table each day with the kids, the opportunity we've had to just be around the dinner table with the kids a lot more, the lunch table, the breakfast table, um, 
you know, getting to interact with them a lot more just during the day. You know, all of those are things that um, a person has a, a choice in terms of how they approach it. And, and that does impact a person's state of mind in these very stressful times. Can you go back just to, do you mind sharing a little bit about the tool? Um, you know, I think at, at this time, people are always looking for, for different ideas. But talk a little bit about the, uh, and again, I, PPMP, did I get close? Was it close? Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, actually, this was a tool that our organization had introduced um, last year up at one of our Fort McMurray sites. We were preparing for a major uh, plant outage, and um, the leadership and HR recognized that we'd be going through a stressful time, and the, the tendency for people would be to just sort of push and uh, not get the rest that they needed, not get the social connection they needed, and, and sort of move away from the habits that had provided them with balance. So um, we had a, a wellness gauge that was established, and it basically facilitated conversation on a day-to-day basis within teams and meetings, just sort of saying, how are we doing as a team? Um, you know, are you depleted? Are you running low? Are you feeling good? And then that would provide us with an opportunity to support each other um, as teammates. And that the second part of it was recognizing uh, actions that, you know, depleted you or drained your tank, drained your energy, um, whether that was, you know, what you were eating or, um, you know, sitting watching TV too much or working too late. And then what were some of the things that a person could take action around, which they had split into three uh, components being social, physical and mental, um, you know, talking physically about working out, sleep, drinking more water, massage, you know, all of those different pieces. Um, socially, obviously, the social list is a little bit different uh, now than it was at that point. You know, a lot of conversation around one-on-one uh, discussions, playing board games, which is something that me and my family have been doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the the idea really was, and this is something that that grounds me a lot in sort of the the meditation stuff and um, a lot of the talks that I've done, whether it be at schools or in communities, has been around this idea of one, being aware, be aware of your state of mind, um, and then two, be intentional and be intentional on the activities, uh, the attitudes, the choices that you're making during the day. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good tool. What's interesting about it, listening to you to describe it, it it seems like it's rooted in sport. It almost seems like something that that an, a team would do, or that you might do with young athletes. Yeah, it's it's interesting as we, um, and you you look at part of the thing that you know over the last few months, obviously the conversation sort of around the evolution of coaching. Um, you know, how coaches are, are approaching their players, mm-hmm. um, how they're motivating, how they're inspiring, uh, you know, really that does translate into the, the work world and how leaders are now connecting with their uh, people and how sort of the human elements are driving more performance, more sustainability, more, um, I would say, optimal you know, well-being in, in order to perform at a higher level and, you know, staying healthy, staying mentally, uh, mentally sharp, mentally fit are all a part of that, whether you're, you know, on the ice, on the field or whether you're in the boardroom or uh, in a gas plant. What do you make as, as someone that has worked with young athletes and you talked a little bit about coaching, 
there's a lot of information thrown out there right now. That's the one thing I notice. You know, there's lots of groups that physically can't meet, so we're throwing a lot of information. Is there useful things out there? Are there things that, that let's start with young athletes. Are there things that you think in a time like this that they should be focusing on or paying attention to? I mean, it's uh, it's been a struggle a little bit for me as of late because you do have so much time, and like you say, there is just this abundance of content that um, that's put out there. Uh, you know, to me, it's been a little bit of a reset in terms of, you know, it, there's a lot of families that are just constantly moving and shaking and taking kids to arenas, taking kids to fields, uh, you know, and, and a lot of stress both financially and just time management wise uh, comes from that, you know, so in in my head, my space, it's been one of those things where I think we've been as a family taking advantage more of that than, you know, um, trying to really be in tune with the content around what a person can be doing uh, in terms of, you know, continuing to maintain uh, skills. We have a little rebounder for soccer that we put out in the driveway and, and we'll go out there and, and kick the ball around and, and do a few things. But, um, you know, it's, it's for us, it's been more around, you know, being together, connecting as a family, probably in a different way than we would have if we would have been running around to soccer fields. Um, not yet, but here at the end of April, we would have been doing that or, you know, school activities and those type of things. You know, in the introduction, I, I talked a little bit about uh, the, the Thrive Sport Project, and it might be better for you to maybe explain that too, because I think that's going to help color a little bit of our conversation. But tell us what you've been doing, you know, I think you said eight years now? Well, so um, when I sort of had my my... A tipping point in terms of my mental health that was that was sort of 2013 okay thrive was something that's sort of been evolving um over the last let's say three years um and originally the conversation with thrive was focused really with sports associations with sports teams um looking at sort of challenging the status quo of um the environments that we're creating for our athletes challenging the status quo around this um, idea of, you know, pressure and what, you know, pressure and sort of in, the intense um, uh, constant state of mind of, of needing to win mm-hmm. uh, what, what that does to our athletes. And it was rooted really in, um, you know, my background as a, as an athlete, as a university football player, as a professional football player, and, you know, one of the things that I uh, really discovered was I had done a lot of work around being a football player. And when that went away, I had to do a lot of work of figuring out who I was as an individual. Um, so I wanted to, you know, uh, bring that to light and, and challenge organizations, associations around around that environment and, um, you know, encourage us to create spaces where kids are feeling safe, where they can thrive, where they can uh, grow in a lot of different areas, not just not just uh, on the ice. Um, that sort of has evolved quite a bit. And, and over the last little while, a lot of my discussions have revolved around more so around the, the mental health uh, side of things. Um, you know, this year had an opportunity early on uh, to support the old uh, Grizzlies of the AJHL here, just as sort of a... Um, 
uh, performance mentor and, and ended up getting to have a lot of great connections with some of those uh, athletes and support them outside of the coaching staff and outside of the game just from a, from a mental health perspective. Um, and also did some work this year uh, with some associations around um, you know, establishing that conversation of purpose for the kids. Why do they play? You know, what does it mean to become a great teammate? Um, uh, practicing of gratitude. All of those things yeah. have been, you know, part of the conversation with Thrive over the last few years. And I want to throw in there too, because I've attended a few of them. Um, you've also done some work in programming and presentations to parents and coaches as well to kind of tie all this together. Um, how do you feel? it's been accepted or interpreted or do you see change? Do you see benefit from your work and the, and the things that you have championed? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's one of those things. It's not like, uh, insight strikes everybody like a bolt of lightning, <laughs> um, or necessarily that, you know, I don't, uh, claim that, you know, sort of my insight is the insight that everybody, everybody needs to, to hear. Um, you know, there has been situations where coaches, parents have come, come up to me and said, you know, they, they plan to approach the team in a, in a different way. Um, how they interact, uh, you know, just, just little, little tweaks. And sometimes it is those little actions and little changes in perspective, I would say that, that, that can really make a big difference. Uh, I mean, you look at structurally, and Rob, you know this very well, you look structurally at sort of the commercialization of sport and the systems that we have. Um, it's a big mammoth machine. Uh, so a, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're focused on, you know, how can we connect better in the moment with our kids? And, um, you know, some people that resonates with and some people it's it's hard to kind of get into that mindset because they are hyper focused on, um, you know, on winning, on development uh, to a, to a high level, all of those things. So and, and there's there's a lot of great people out there that do, you know, push on the development side and still maintain that sort of holistic perspective. So I don't think it's just a, sort of a dichotomy of one way or the other. As you know, there's a lot of great people in sport. Well, youth sport is is a watercolor. It's not a barn like you're painting it with a fine brush. You're not, you know, to, to take a big four inch paintbrush and say we're all. But but I what I appreciate the most about you and what has made me a fan of you is that it's it's getting back to those soft skills. And. I've said this about, I don't know how many of these podcasts we've done, 20. I've probably said it in 19. What we're living through right now is really, really exposing managers from leaders. And I think leadership, it's the most fertile, best place to teach it is sport. And I, and I, I think guys like you and, and, and some other people out there are getting back to the soft skills and what's important. And that's why I think this conversation is so important. And I'll give you an example. We've had, you know, uh, some sports ended without championships and things like that. And and we've had, you know, winners awarded. And, you know, parents are parents. They get upset. But to me, I look at this, Blake, as an opportunity to have a conversation, to talk about winning and losing and, and you know, overcoming. So if you really feel like you got the shaft – how do you deal with it? There, there's a real opportunity that I think we need to get back to and understand. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a uh, interesting story um, about a coach uh, back in early 1900s named Alonzo Stagg, and the story is that 
he was coaching a football team, college football team in uh, in the States and ultimately took them to the championship game. And they were down at half, came back to win the game. And there was, you know, some press after that had their their pads of paper and pencil at that time and were um, <laughs> ask, asking Coach Stagg what he thought about his players. And his, you know, his response, I think, reson- it resonates a lot with me. He was just like, you know, ask me in 20 years. Um, because for him, it wasn't about whether they won, lost, the season ended three quarters of the way through. It was more about the lessons that those athletes had learned and what they were going to take into their communities as, you know, future teachers and as future fire, uh, people as, uh, business people, whatever their, whatever their, uh, the road would take them. And, um, I think that that's so important. I, I think that the, idea of you know perspective for us is a very simple thing and it's a very complex thing at the same time and it can be very easy to sort of shift into a a state of mind where we do focus on long term and on um, sort of longer term values but at the same time it can be one of those things that uh, if we get hyper focused on a negative perspective it's easy for us to drive down those roads as well. Are, Are coaches receptive? Do you find the coaches are receptive? Um, yeah, yeah. For the for the most part, they are. I, I think it it is a real uh, challenge for them sometimes to understand, especially if you think of a minor hockey coach. Like this year, I drove uh, in and out of the city from my hometown in Olds to Calgary to work with a couple of guys that were active coaches uh, in minor hockey. And you look at the fact, okay, well, they're spending their entire day working and then they're driving home to be on the ice at five o'clock and trying to put a practice plan together and so you look at just the balance of trying to you know technically bring quality to the ice and at the same time be in a mindset where you know you're going to be supportive and connect with kids it's it's not an easy it's not an easy task I know when I was coaching uh, football here in town often I would be challenged by you know sort of bringing my own weight of the world uh, onto the onto the kids and um, so I think it's been for me a maturation process and for a lot of people it is a Uh, a process to kind of go you know I am making an impact here not only from a technical level but on a uh, emotional level a developmental level and then and then I think the thing too is um, with every athlete is going to be different too so um, how that connection impacts how they engage in the game engage in how you coach engage in how you can communicate will be different with uh with different different athletes and i i know i've seen that a lot where if you can connect with somebody on a on a personal level um you know a lot of times they'll they'll um you know, they'll sort of run through the wall for you. It's a, there's a story that I, I tell all the time, and it was about when I was with the Stampeders and Henry Burris was uh, the quarterback, <laughs> and uh, my mom and dad had came to uh, watch uh, watch practice uh, on the on the outside the grass field just to the south of McMahon there. And, you know, Henry was a guy that, that I had watched uh, numerous times, even with my dad, uh, who who had played for the Eskimos back in the 60s. And one day my folks were there. I was walking off the field with Henry and and I told Henry I was going to go and say hi to my parents. And Henry said, I'm going to come up with you. 
And, you know, he came up there and shook my parents' hand and just, you know, in a simple act, um, uh, you know, brought out a lot of emotion, pride, joy in them. But for me, it was one of those things that that simple act, uh, you know, inspired me to, like I say, basically feel like I'd run through the wall for that for that person. So, um, a lot of times it is just those little, little yep. things, little acts of kindness, little acts of, of connection that, um, can inspire people. And, and I, I know that people that are, are sort of open to that conversation recognize that to be the case. Well, one way or the other, that story was coming up. So I'm glad you got it out of the way early. Cause if you weren't, I was going to bring <laughs> it up because I love that story. And it, it's funny, his name has come up on this podcast before, and, and we've talked to a couple of people you know really well, Randy Chevre and Tom Higgins, and um, there is a thread there. Like, there's a, yeah. there, there, there is a thread, um, which I don't know, sometimes people can see, maybe you have to get a little further away, but that idea, you know, that's leadership. What Henry Burris did right there was leadership, but I would imagine, you know, some people wouldn't use that as an example of leadership, would they? No, I mean, I think a lot of times you think of, um, you know, the the big plays, the the leadership in, in action, the you know maybe the big speech that a, a guy gives in the in the dressing room. Um, but you know the the Maya Angelou quote that says, you know, people don't always remember what you say or even what you do, but they always remember how you make them feel. I think that that's very true in a lot of cases with leadership i don't i don't remember so much um all the great throws that henry made uh while i was on on that team with him or in a war watching him um that's the one encounter along with others that really resonates uh really resonates with me and and i think that in this day and age when we look at um you know, you look at the conversation, say in business around compensation, you know, what, what, uh, what brings people to work to, uh, to perform at a, at a high level right now in our organization. And I, I thought I'd bring this up because I think it's interesting in terms of sport is this idea of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, it's an interesting conversation of, you know, having different ideas, different, uh, skill sets brought to the table and then creating an environment where those ideas and, and creativity are allowed to be uh, brought to brought to uh, brought to bear. And, and a lot of that in my mind is, you know, those soft skills creating environment where people hear that they're uh, supported. I think that that's the same thing with athletes and with parents within associations and, and with teams and, uh, in creating that environment, we're creating an, a real, uh, powerful space. What do you think of when I say the word old school? <laughs> uh, well, the first thing that came to mind was the, was the movie. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, it it's an interesting thing, and I kind of alluded a little bit to it earlier, is, you know, you look at the, the interface now between old school coaching, old school leadership, and now sort of this new new school mentality. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a real challenge to for those spaces to, to, to mesh um, and a real challenge for some of those old school coaches, old school leaders to find their place within that new school space. And, um, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's a, it's a different skill set, Um, and it's a challenge to adapt from that old school mentality of leading with fear, 
of, uh, you know, consistently sort of pushing, pushing, pushing um, how you communicate to this new sort of concept, sort of the Brené Brown vulnerability, the Simon Sinek sort of idea around um, infinite mindset. Uh, and it's interesting to see how that's that's uh, evolving both in the world of sport and in the world of business. I think my friend Craig Button has the the great line when somebody says to him, "Oh, I'm an old school fan." How old? You like the Rover? We going back to the Rover? We going back to no, no forward <laughs> passes in football? What are we? How far back are we going? Right? Like yeah. um, you, you have a unique perspective because you were a high level athlete. You've coached high level athletes. The athlete of 2020, how are they different than, than when you were a young person? Yeah, the, um, I think, you know, I look at myself and I look at, you know, that, that idea of old school um, mentality. You know, you hear a lot of sort of the quote-unquote old school folks that will talk about, you know, being out at – 8 a.m. playing street hockey and uh, go in maybe for a bowl of craft dinner or a, a sandwich and then be back out until the dinner bell rang. Um, you know, that was really my my reality. Uh, I didn't start playing football, which was a game that I was very, very passionate about from an early age because, like I said, my dad had played for the Eskimos. It was basically sort of our our sport in our house. I didn't start playing until grade 10. Um, you know, so I played 10, 11, 12, and then I was, uh, was to, at university. And uh, you look at now sort of the structures that we have in place where even in my hometown now there's peewee football, there's bantam football, there's, you know, then into, into high school. And I think that that creates a different uh, uh, developmental model in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you, so you, you look at that that sort of pressure, what that means to development, what that means to um, sort of the, the idea of not wanting to fall behind um, and the, the camps and all those things that sort of support that model. It creates a different, uh, different headspace for sure. I also think that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't around or, or uh, growing up even my university days in a social media um, time frame. you know, where sort of that, uh, always ongoing feedback it was was present and and some of that the the judgment that can come along with that yep. um, so I think that there's a, sort of a different type of uh, pressure now for athletes than there there was then you but you also look at the conversations and how they've evolved you know there's a saying uh, uh, hopefully when you know better you do better I mean, um, I had multiple concussions uh, throughout my career, and the conversation at that point was significantly different than it is now. The conversation around mental health was significantly different than than it is now. Um, so, you know, it, it's it, it, but there's tough as nails kids out there mm-hmm. too sure. th- these days. I mean, yeah. and and. Uh, so I think that the environment that we've created is significant, significantly different. You know, sort of just the social pressures are significantly different. And uh, as you know, that has uh, varying impacts. Um, w- my my friend, uh, Blake Mahan's with us uh, from the Thrive Sport Project. Now I'm going to do a promo, then I'm going to let you do a promo. Check out Sport Calgary's This Week in Sport for the latest in news and updates. 
in the Calgary sports community. Check it out at uh, sportcalgary.ca. Give us a little bit about Thrive and where we can find you and and what to expect. Yeah, so um, website is uh, uh, thrivesportproject.com. Email is uh, there. Phone number is there. Um, You know, Thrive Sport is really... Uh, sort of a, a grass, a grassroots, um, a grassroots initiative, and uh, you know, love to have conversations with with folks about you know what what their associations values uh, are and how we can help support those values as we as we move forward. Pretty cool. Um, let's, if you don't mind, you brought it up a couple of times. Are you cool to talk a little bit about your journey in mental health? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Can you, um, you know? Take us back. How would you describe it? Are, are you, you know, are you self-healed? Are you, um, you know, are you self-taught? Uh, how would you describe your journey? Or I'll, I'll just leave you, you know, the, the room and the platform in which to discuss it or to, to, to explain it. Yeah, it's kind of neat because yesterday uh, my organization, the company that I work for, uh, we had a meeting where there was 100 or so people uh, in, uh, invited. There was about 50 people in the digital room and they had me talk about my journey with mental health. Um, so pretty cool that as uh, businesses, we're now getting into a space where we, we can openly discuss that. And it's something that for me um, is a journey that I'm uh, quite proud of because it's one of those things where uh, it was a, a journey of resilience and a journey a journey of of hard work. Um, really, throughout my youth, I experienced anxiety in in a lot of different different ways. Um, got to a place where you know, in a lot of ways, I, I leaned on my identity with football. We talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. earlier. And um, when football ended, you know, really struggled with who I was as an individual. Um, my anxiety just sort of continued to pile on. And I never thought that I was dealing with mental illness. I always just felt like at some point in my life, I was going to have that, you know, Oprah moment of insight and and I was going to be able to relax or, uh, you know, be more confident. But because I wasn't putting in that effort in that space, that didn't come. And then in that sort of led to a tipping point in 2013, where I had um, a panic attack, which was one of many panic attacks over the years, but one that uh, physically I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And that was a tipping point for me. Uh, went to the doctor finally there and, and was told, you know, you're physically fine, but uh, dealing with anxiety and depression. And and it was a place where I think I was I really leaned on those skills that I learned as an athlete at that at that moment, a moment where, um, you know, it could have easily sort of been a crippling moment. But it was more a, an empowering moment for me where I said, OK, well, this is where I am at this point. This is uh uh, point A, and let's let's figure out ways to um, move to point B, which in my mind was feeling better, healing, not having sort of that that emotional anguish, and uh, so that's what I did. I got to work, uh, saw a counselor, um, started to figure out ways um, to to heal, to sort of change my perspective, change my habits, and over the last seven years, um, you know, I, I, am feeling a lot better and have traveled a, a long way down that, uh, road of recovery. It's one of those things I think, you know, just, um, 
that it's an ongoing, it's an in progress, a constant in progress mm-hmm. uh, uh, challenge. And and like you said earlier, you look at the the stresses of today. Yep. Um, it, you know, it challenges you in that headspace again to fall back on those things that you've learned and uh, really to to continue uh, continue that work. So how do you how do you do the maintenance? How do you how do you continue to move forward um what is what's day-to-day like for you um yeah i mean a lot of it is is um just continuously trying to challenge myself in different ways Mm -hmm. um a big thing for me in that recovery was learning um you know i'm a big fan of of uh sort of the open courses on say like coursera uh, chat, you know, and, and learning new things right now, I'm taking a course, uh, through, uh, Coursera, which is, uh, the science of well-being, and it's offered through Yale and, you know, just, just providing different insights and challenging sort of my, my current state of mind and some of the things that, that, uh, I hold as important and, and, and then, you know, uh, inspiring me to do different work in that, in that space. I constantly pro- I'd say maybe five times a week, I leverage um, apps on my phone to meditate. Um, so there's a couple of good ones that, that I use there. And then huge for me is is movement, is exercise. You know, we just even getting out fresh air, a little bit of yoga or some general strength stuff, movement in the morning. Those, those simple uh, things are things that are really key to my my maintenance in that space. Were you always inclined to share? Were you always someone that, you know, would speak in front of groups? Uh, it, it seems to me that, you know, at some point you had to make a determination that I'm healthy enough now and I want to share with people and I want to help be a solution for other people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because... I, you know, public speaking and speaking in general was one of the things that triggered my anxiety probably to the highest degree. I can remember, Rob, times when I was even when I was with the stamps and, um, you know, you would come in to talk and, and I literally I would just shut down and I wouldn't be able to express myself in a way that I felt like was adding any value to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly enough, I remember a teacher that had made a comment uh, to my parents just about how, you know, um, that teacher felt that, you know, one day I was going to be a leader. And, uh, you know, I just just needed to figure out what that meant. And so for me, I constantly sort of had that in the back of my mind as a driver. And, and most people will tell you that I never said no, even when I was at my most anxious, um, to certain public speaking events. And even though it would just drain the heck out of me and I would fear it, I would, uh, I would push through it and, and, and try to develop that skill. Um, so, so part of that is an interesting process of just mindset and how, it, again, a sort of simple comment can really deeply ingrain in someone and, and push them forward. I, for me, again, like like I said, the, 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 this progress is, uh, in my mind, a progress of, of strength. And it's a, pro, it's a common 
you know, it's such a common uh, scenario where we're talking about mental health. Everybody has mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not everybody has mental illness. But how do we um, I- improve and impact our mental health in a, in a positive way? So for me, it was always about that, you know, it was about work and how can we how can we push each other to improve and just really hoping that in some way my voice uh, is a positive, uh, a positive voice in that conversation. I'm not sure I've ever asked you this um, because you've been very upfront about, you know, the challenge you had in public speaking. Were you were you an anxious guy on game day when you were playing as an athlete? Were you a guy that? You know, there's legendary stories of goalies in the NHL that had to throw up before a game or, or, you know, were you anxious? Did you have rituals? What were you like as an athlete? Yeah, see, it's interesting because um, as an athlete, you know, I was I was more anxious leading into the into the into game day I, and I was kind of that way even with with public speaking yesterday leading into my conversation with my company I was very anxious and then when I get into the moment it's kind of um, you know I would say maybe flow state type of thing <laughs> and and I so I was more like that as a as a player the thing that really impacted me from an anxiety perspective was how much that anxiety during the week leading into that game impacted my energy levels and physically it would wear you out to the point where I wasn't one of those guys that um, you know would be listening to uh, heavy metal trying to get get worked up I was already sort of stimulated to the point where I I needed to try to cool down a bit and be in a space where I could you know see the field and, too hyped and react up? too hyped up well yeah I mean it's it interesting when you look at the neurology of you know stimulus um, and, and I'm an introvert, uh, you know, st- stimulus a lot of times can take you to a sp- space where you, you sort of flip your lid, so to speak, and yeah. don't work from a whole brain. Right. So, um, that was a thing now looking back at it, that I was definitely in that space and I would be, uh, fatigued. So I only played for the most part, I only played, uh, offense and there wasn't a whole lot of special teams for me. One, because, I uh, was so tired and I was decent as a receiver. They wanted to keep me on the field and not be a total, total mess. But there was a lot of times where I recognized that that anxiety had impacted um, my ability and my sort of longevity uh, on the field. You love football? Uh, <laughs> I, I do love the game. The game is such a unique game out of all the games that I've coached or um, or played. And just, you know, you have those 12 athletes on the field, and I always think of just a simple toss play. If that right tackle doesn't make the his first step the right first step, a progressive first step, and creates an, an edge for that running back, um, you know, just those little minute things can have such an impact on the outcome of the game. I, I have uh, been challenged, I would say, over the years based on, you know, some of the outcomes of my concussions um, and how I view uh, how I view the sport mm-hmm. and, um, you know, some of the risks related to to the game. So it's 
it's and, and I mean in a lot of ways um, sport is sport is amazing but it, it uh, is amazing because people choose to make it amazing and do positive things um, some of the things that I see in sport in, in general are a little bit uh, frustrating at, at times but um, yeah the, the game of football is is uh, like no other in my mind yeah you know it, I have such a, a, a love-hate relationship with it in so many ways the professional game drives me nuts because you know at the professional level it's a bit of a meat market or it can be um, the health and safety of it scares me but boy when you look at it the lessons that you can learn the teamwork the inclusivity, uh, the amount of people that it takes to do one job. all There's so many great things that can be achieved through being part of football. And again, I, I go back to some of the most amazing people I've met in sport are football players. It's, it's really an interesting game. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, just like you say, the inclusivity. I always used to talk about with, with kids here when we were looking to build teams for our high school team or our bantam teams is you look, you got a uh, 300 pound lineman and you <laughs> yep. got, you know, 90 pound wide receivers. Yep. Uh, and there's a, there's a place all the way in between, uh, for, for different skill sets and you don't need to be that prototypical 180 pound guy, um, to make an impact on a football field. Somebody's listening to this today, Blake, and they, they heard a little bit about your story and they're inspired. And, and again, I want to be really respectful that mental health, much, much like my comment before, it, it's a watercolor. It's not a barn. It needs to be painted delicately and, and specifically. But do you have some advice? You know, if you could go back to younger Blake just before that panic attack, what kind of advice would you, you know, the one that changed your life, what kind mm-hmm. of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I, I think that simply it goes to the idea of you know never underestimating the the power of a of a an act of courage, and um, that could mean something different for every person. But uh, in a lot of cases, that that may mean asking for for help and asking for. Um, some direction or opening up a, a, a conversation with somebody that's a, a trusted person in in your life. Um, you know, for me, like I said, and I know this is the case for a lot of people, um, as an athlete, as a big, strong, strapping kid, that a lot of people didn't look at me and go, man, this, this kid's struggling. Um, but, you know, deep down, I, you know, I knew that there, there was uh, – there was something better in terms of my mental health out there. Um, and you know, not really until I went to the, to the hospital that day that I talked about and, you know, had that conversation, got some of that support and that direction. Um, did I start to progress towards, uh, towards recovery and the step isn't, isn't easy because there is so much stigma around mental mental health still, and there is eh? it's it's not you know it's 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 still there's stigma oh yeah absolutely i think i mean you look you look at in in any space that we're in um you know there's still obviously like we we talked about some of that old school mentality about what mental health means and and you know that you're that you're weak or that um you know that you're going to be a detriment to a team because you have mental mental illness or you're struggling. Um, so that stigma is still there, and it's very difficult um, to 
to have the right structures in place to to reach out in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. I look at, you know, I thought a lot about these kids that I was working with in, in uh, with the old Grizzlies here, and you know, they're fighting for ice time, they're fighting for opportunities to win scholarships, they're you know fighting for uh, chances to be identified or to shine. And uh, the same person that's, you know, opening the gate door for them is the person that in a lot of cases would be the, the first person you'd go to. And that would be your coach. So how do you how do you do that? And, and, and I, you know, I just looked at some of those situations and, and thought that's a tough spot to be for a kid. And, um, you know, and, and how do we create scenarios where kids do have some of those outlets without feeling like they're, it's going to. Um, impact their ability to to be on the ice or be on the field. You are an amazing guy. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Before I let you go, though, I've got to ask you the same question I ask you everybody. My last question, no parameters. Blake, you give me your answer. I'm just going to ask you the question. Now, I know I should point out, you live in Olds, but you travel back and forth from Calgary for work, which uh, every day. Um, yeah. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. I'm not oh, putting yeah. any parameters on it. You can answer it any way you want. <laughs> that one's uh, easy for me. I played football with a guy by the name of Joseph Treya uh, at University of Calgary, and his family um, for many years has had Bridgeland Market in, uh, in Bridgeland. And um, they recently closed down their Mediterranean deli across the road, which was uh, – Taza, uh, Taza Mediterranean Deli, and uh, but Yosef still has, Yosef still has his uh, his grocery store across the road, um, and just uh, just you know he comes from a Lebanese family, beautiful people. Um, you go to that spot. He's got great uh, fresh food and ice cream, and uh, he's got a unique sign up. He's always sort of posted wacky stuff on. Um, so uh, for me, that's. Uh, uh, maybe not so hidden treasure, oh, but I don't a place that, place that I love to go to. I love it. I love it. Hey, um, you're my hero. I really appreciate everything you do, buddy. You're so important into this conversation and what we're doing uh, in youth sports. Keep it up. Love you. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. But thanks for spending some time with me today. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, too. How good was Blake? Uh, well, come on. I mean, goes without saying, right? Um, we could all use a little... Uh, you know, check in once in a while on the mental health side of things and, and the fact that Blake is so upfront and, and helpful. And, and again, love talking to him about youth sports. He's a coach. He works a lot with parents and a lot with young athletes. Um, and I just, I, I really do believe what he does is important. And, and I believe those are the kind of conversations we need to be having in sport these days. You can check him out at the Thrive Sport Project. Thanks to Blake. Thanks to you. If you've enjoyed said podcast, the original Six Feet Conversation podcast, tell a friend, will you? It's growing. It's growing. Uh, we've had some fantastic guests. We've got some fantastic guests lined up. But if you're new to us, uh, by all means, go to Apple or iTunes and subscribe. Uh, but you can hear the likes of Al Coates. You can hear the likes of Mary Moran, of Trent McClellan, comedian Trent McClellan from This Hour Has 22 Minutes, George Canyon. Yes, that George Canyon, just to name a few. And very excited about the uh, quality and caliber of guests we are having in the next couple of weeks to join us. So glad you could be part of it. Uh, we will be back with you soon. This has been an original Six Feet Conversation podcast at sportcalgary.ca.